Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by Daily Dot Writer and host of the po- of the podcast Overinvested. Uh, Gavia Baker Whitelaw. Hello. Hello. And we are joined by writer and creator of the hysterical Twitter, Sunnydale Ham. Lauren Eggert Crow. Hi. Yay. Hello. Yay. Oh my God. So much fun. And it's two first time guests, which I feel like we haven't had in a while. In a while. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Fresh meat. <laughs> nice to meet everyone. Yes. I'm glad so you So speaking of which, Gavia, why don't you tell us how you first found Buffy? How did how did she first come into your life? Buffy is the first TV show I ever saw. Oh wow. So- <laughs> Wait, really? Which is like, oh, well, yeah, it really is. Um, so I grew up without a TV in the house. But um, in my teens, we had a computer and I bought DVDs. And so obviously I'd kind of at other people's houses, I'd seen like one or two episodes of, you know, soaps or whatever. But the first DVDs I bought was Buffy because I read the tie-in novels at the library as a kid. So I was like, we've got to watch this. And I would buy one season on eBay and then sell it back to pay for the next one on DVD when I was like oh 14 God. or something. So that is how I watched Buffy, my first ever TV show. Most of it I've actually not rewatched since then. So when I watched this week's episode, I had no memory of it. But um, <laughs> yeah, love Buffy. <laughs> I'm impressed with 14 year old you with that hustle. <laughs> <laughs> I was very dedicated. <laughs> like 14 year old me would have no clue how to do that. <laughs> I barely know how to do that now. We're selling pins for the podcast, and I barely know what I'm doing with that. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, why don't you go? So the very first person I dated when I was a junior in college, um, they were really into Buffy. Not just a Buffy fan, but a Buffy scholar, like taking classes at the University of Arizona on Buffy studies and creating like a whole Buffy paper about the linguistics of Buffy, which is still cited in different books. So when I, I was very lucky, um, when I was 23, we watched Buffy together. I was seeing it for the first time. And the first episode that we started on was Surprise and Innocence. Oh, my God. Which is kind of a crazy episode to jump into. And then we left for China for five weeks. So can you imagine (laughs) watching the end of Innocence and then... (laughs) Being th- and we watched it on an old VHS that was recorded from the TV. So it had commercials and everything, and it was all, you know, like, scratchy. Um, and then after that, we just raced through the DVDs um, in just a couple months and then went back to the beginning. So the very last episode I saw was Bad Eggs. <laughs> That's nice. really weird. <laughs> I know, but it was kind of great. I think I'm, I'm such a purist now, I would only want to start someone from the beginning but then i forget well you know i started with surprise and innocence and i did fine so although there was several times i was like wait who's that wait why does xander know about the army i don't understand <laughs> it's funny someone actually just tweeted at our podcast recently i don't know if you saw it matthew um he followed us and then also tweeted at us saying he wanted to get into buffy because so many people he knew loved it but he had never watched it before and if he could skip the beginning and i was like honestly i think you should probably start from the beginning uh, like it's just i just I, don't think you should skip to the i don't i'm just a tv show person who thinks that you should never skip the first season of anything like even when and i still haven't watched it so don't yell at me but like <laughs> when i ask you about parks and rec they're like skip the first season i'm like i just don't want to skip a season of anything ever yeah. although I you just, know what i think i started parks and rec on season three and i was also fine there but i'm i agree with you i think in general you start yeah, at the I beginning. Like, I feel like with kind of sitcoms, and if it's like a procedural cop show, you could do some skipping. But with something like Buffy, no, you've got to watch season one. Well, yeah, the only thing that I would tell people you don't have to watch in the beginning is like Law and Order SVU, because no matter what, <laughs> you can worship Olivia Benson no matter where you start. Oh my gosh. It's literally designed so you can switch on the TV and be like, oh, okay, they're still there. They've been <laughs> the same age for 100 years. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... Because I feel like my, my everyone in my family watches Law and & Order, and I'll like be able to tell how old the episode is just by like their hairstyles, but that's it. Like, <laughs> it doesn't really matter where you jump in with that. Um, and yeah, it's funny. Uh, Parts and Rec, actually, I've never seen the first season, but I really love that show. I happened to start in season two, because I remember seeing a bunch of people posting, I think on Facebook probably at that point, about how funny the season two opener was, because it's when she goes to the gay bar and has the penguins. 
Um, and that was the first episode I watched, and I was like, oh, I love this. And I just never went back and watched season one. Um, and same thing with Happy Endings, actually. I never watched. I watched one episode. Season one of- is oh, so yeah. good. Wait, wow, so I, I watched one episode of season <laughs> one and really didn't like it. Um, it's the episode where they're like, she dates the guy and he's like a hipster, but it felt like a dad writing an episode about hipsters. Like, it just felt like, I, I don't know. Like, Hello, how- fellow kids. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how it read to me. And I remember being like, oh, I don't like this. Like, this feels like a cool dad trying to be funny. And like, I didn't like it. And then I started in season two and fucking loved it. Um, and I've watched season two and three a million times, but never revisited season one. Um, anyway, they welcome to a Buffy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, is Buffy? Never heard of it. <laughs> um, today we're here to discuss season five's The Replacement, where Xander Harris gets split in two. Would you like to say Yeah, and it's actually really funny to think about that as the title because the show is trying to be like he was replaced, but he was not. He was split in right. two. Yeah. Well, this is great for me because like I didn't figure out the twist until like a good like third of the way through. So I was like, oh goodness, <laughs> the title's <laughs> a trick. <laughs> we open on a very season four opener because they're in Xander's basement <laughs> watching a movie, um, and they it's kind of a setup to show that Xander needs to leave his basement and get an apartment. Um, but there's actually a lot of interesting stuff happening here. Um, I really like the moment where Xander tries to give Anya a shoulder rub because he thinks he's a bad <laughs> boyfriend and he's like looking at Riley. It's already like setting him up as like feeling inadequate compared to Riley. And it's just like, oh, boys. <laughs> yeah, Xander has a lot of masculinity woes. Yeah, uh, he does. I, I do think... And I mean, uh, I put this at the end of my notes, but I can say it here. I do think this episode almost feels like a better version of season three's The Zeppo. I don't know if you'd agree, Matthew. Um, um, I completely 100% disagree. Okay. Zeppo is perfect. <laughs> See, I didn't remember. I didn't like Zeppo. It reminded me of Trump era white men like being like, oh, I'm forgotten. Um, and Zeppo, this... Zeppo looks like an episode of American Horror Story when you like watch it. <laughs> um, and this felt more like okay, he's just, like, a guy who, like, isn't confident. And, like, that's okay. Like, for me, that's, like... Yeah. I feel like a lot of, kind of, Xander-centric episodes are him kind of dealing with masculinity and having all this, like, self-internalized, like, bullshit because he's surrounded by powerful women. And this one is the one where it's, like, not so offensive because yeah. you're just like, well, he does have low self-esteem and he's got to deal with it. Right, like, and for me, that's okay. Like, that's, like, okay, people can yeah. relate to that, like... You know, feeling well, like, oh, my friends are better than me. Okay. Well, you know what's interesting, too, is, like, we always say this. Um, we, we, Ian and I always talk about this on the podcast. Like, when you actually think about what age they are, like, Xander is a 19-year-old straight man. Like, how clueless is he, you know? Yeah, and he's already, like, getting his own two- or one-bedroom apartment. Like, you know, that's pretty good for a 19-year-old. And yeah. He's, like, getting promotion at a construction worker job at 19. Yeah, like, like he's yeah. actually doing great. Like, <laughs> I, Well, I feel like there's a weird sort of time stretching that happens in the Buffyverse where they're technically in college, but we're supposed to read them as if they're early 20-somethings and not teenagers yeah. anymore. I would even say, is, like, they, yeah. they, I mean, the phrase that Ian always says is that they age them up really fast. Yeah. And, like, season four, like, even though they're freshmen in college because they deal with, like, end-of-the-world stuff, they kind of seem, like, early 20s. And by season five, and then six, where they're, like, getting married and stuff. Oh, my God, I know. Like, they seem like they're in their mid to late 20s already. Well, and maybe maybe dealing with war and death and danger really does that to you. It it ages you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it was different because it was the early 2000s. Because there's no financial crisis, uh, crash, and then it's yeah. sort of like it's it's more expected that you've got like an actual job at 19, whereas now we're all just like a job. <laughs> <laughs> Where do those come from? Yeah, <laughs> and like, I mean, yeah, and like, because even in the scene when Joyce says, "Oh, having two teenagers in the house," I was like, "Oh God, yeah, Buffy's still a fucking teenager." <laughs> like, I so easily forget that, especially in this season when like. She's literally, like, saving the world and dealing with a million other things. It's like, God, she's only 19. Man, I would not have dealt with any of this as well as she does. She's only 19, but her mind is older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as, as Hamilton would say. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yes. 
branding. We love the branding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I actually do think this opening is cute, although I did find myself thinking, why weren't Willow and Tara invited to this? Um, Because they're busy doing it. Busy (laughs) being with each other. We have to assume they're in the the honeymoon phase while the straights are feeling neurotic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like if I had the choice between hanging out with Tara or going to Xander's basement, I'd hang out with Tara. Yeah. Fair. It's a sound choice. Um, and yeah, I did I did like the... And I even thought the... And I thought this was on purpose, the way they... When you first see the scene. Like, Anya and Xander, even though Xander tries to imitate what Riley's doing, Anya and Xander are still sitting more couple than Buffy and Riley are. Like, Buffy's not mm-hmm. interested in cuddling up to mm-hmm. him. Um, which I feel like was probably done on purpose. And I love Xander defending Buffy, and he was like, yeah, Willow is always like... A cauldron? Who uses a cauldron? And then they cut to the Toph demon using one. I thought that was a really good, like, very buffy. There were some really fun edits in this. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's it's a funny little scene, but there is that one intense moment with Xander's parents. And, like, obviously the show is always, like, telling us that Xander kind of grew up, like, not with with not that much. And that there's a lot of family strife and stuff. But seeing or hearing his parents get into a fight where it sounds like we're like they're throwing furniture at each other right? is yeah. really intense. And I mean, you you do bring this up a lot, Matthew, and I think that this episode does it well too because they do it more in season four and I guess three. They touch upon it with like showing how Xander's clearly like like I feel like Buffy and Willow are very like maybe upper middle class and Xander is not. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. You know, and I feel like they do a good... Because, like, that's a pretty intense fight, but Xander and Anya are clearly used to it. Um, You know, I mean, Xander doesn't love it, but he's not shocked at all, you know? Yeah. And I kind of like showing... And, I mean, we don't really get that again because he moves out, which I wanted to point out, in this episode, they do a lot of, like, side work because Giles officially owns the magic shop now, and Xander gets this... The arc of this episode is Xander gets an apartment. Um... (laughs) And it kind of gives us two major sets that we'll have for the at least the next two seasons. We've said this before, but season five does a lot of work in the beginning to place everyone. This episode is like, Xander gets an apartment and confidence that kind of places him <laughs> to, like, do what he needs to do for the rest of the season when, you know, quote-unquote, the bricklayer picks up a spare. Oh, and did you notice in the TV scene, and when they're watching the Kung Fu movie, he's wearing a bowling t-shirt. Who is? Xander. I did not notice that. Oh, I didn't. No. <laughs> He's wearing a t-shirt that says bowl on it. <laughs> I wow. Notice that. They're mines. <laughs> <laughs> they must have done so much pre-planning for this season though and or like <laughs> when they went to college because it's one of the few shows where they kind of transition from the teen show high school thing and it actually works. Right. So they must yeah. have been like we have to make up some sets that are actually going to be useful and make sense. And I mean, when we we had Jana Spencer on in season 4 and she did say, right Matthew that Joss would like map out the season and kind of yeah, like tell and... the writers to like, okay, you can write this episode, but like, this is where we need to go. And this is where we're going. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like they basically, she basically said like the number, the scripts were like paint by numbers where like he told you where everything was and you just like put the lines there. <laughs> Which I mean, doesn't sound so bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So then we get Xander going to visit his apartment that he eventually gets. Um. I do think it's really cute that he brings his friends it um, is not cute. It is not cute. <laughs> Sorry. No. I mean, he's 19 and he's, he, they literally yeah. don't know how to look for an apartment. And it's like, I can't believe like, this is happening. Bringing all of your middle. friends to an apartment. For anyone out there listening, bringing your friends to an apartment viewing is a way to not get the apartment. <laughs> I just thought it was cute because, like, I wouldn't want to go. I mean, I probably wouldn't bring, you know, five people, but I would bring, like, a friend. and be like, oh, can you come with me? Oh, no. One is fine because you want another set of eyes. But... When you go see an apartment, you're supposed to act like you're the quietest person who's ever lived. Like, I go see an apartment, and I'm like, no, I don't have friends. No one comes over. I'm alone all the time. I've never laughed in my entire life. I think it was a really cute scene, because, like, they just didn't know that, because they were all just tiny baby idiots. Why are they making out in the bedroom? Oh, I that is like a real age down moment. Yeah, like, yeah. they're like, oh, they're still college, like horny college kids. I did put, which in I my... feel like makes sense for nineteen. But I keep thinking of Riley as an adult and just being like, but right. you're meant to be the sensible one, <laughs> the boring yeah. one. I I did put in my notes. I said to quote Matthew, I feel like Riley must lay it down really well because Buffy's literally <laughs> attracted to him. You know, like she goes in that room to make out with him. She knows there's no chemistry, 
I once dated a guy that we, and we both barely liked each other, but like, the sex was really good, so we both stayed together for a long time. And I feel like that's kind of what this is. <laughs> it's kind of weird, because Riley's almost intentionally written as a boring character. Yeah. And like, and it's like, but that's why everyone thinks he's the least good boyfriend. So it's like, they've really lost out on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the moment in when they're uh, all looking at the apartment where they're trying to contrast Riley with Xander because the realtor kind of thinks that Riley is looking for the apartment because yeah. he's dressed in that like horrid outfit. But it looks more like, <laughs> but it looks more professional. And yeah. then literally as Xander goes to, shake her hand he wipes his hand uh. on his shirt and <laughs> I, I love that detail I, I screamed like the wiping <laughs> of the shirt on the hand I don't know if it was in the script or if Nicholas Brendan did it but like it, I screamed <laughs> um yeah I I thought like I mean Nicholas Brendan I think is doing a really good job in this episode because that's showing us like oh Xander's not confident he's kind of like fumbling through everything just to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, also, I don't know how he would have ever gotten that apartment. The realtor says, I mean, which is typical for apartments now, but back then, and him being 19, that feels insane that he would have first and last month's rent, a cleaning deposit, and whatever the hell she needs. I think we have to assume that the local economy of Sunnydale is really screwed up. That's it's fair. just like, <laughs> people are constantly dying, but they're like, we'd like to have some insurance based on your new apartment, because like, we always need new tenants, but also, what if you're a demon murderer, like the last three tenants? <laughs> um yeah that's true (laughs) um so then we get so giles meets toth comes into the magic shop i appreciate that the demon has no interest in even fighting giles he's just like you're not the slayer and just kind of (laughs) pushes him um it's also like we have spoken about this so much like giles wants to take over the magic box and like literally before the store opens there are boxes everywhere and he gets attacked like yeah. <laughs> Not even open yet. And, like, could have died, yeah. And at this I point, do... they're all just so blasé about it. They're like, well, part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the way he whacks Toth with that fertility statue. Like, there's some nice, like, heft and bounce to, like, the way he whacks his head and Toth kind of just lets him do it for a little bit before, like, shoving him aside. <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was a nice small fight scene in Buffy. Yeah. Um... And I, I like them like dis- I, I like scenes where they're discussing the thing that just happened, kind of like in Buffy vs Dracula when they're all like, and then Dracula turned into a bat and he flew at us. I kind of appreciate. I would do that now at thirty five, but especially like nineteen year olds would definitely sit around discussing whatever thing that just happened. So when when Giles says, "Oh, Toth," and Riley's like, "What?" and she's like, "Buffy's like, oh, he called you Toth. That's British slang for." being a moron or something and Giles is like no Toth is a demon (laughs) also Toth looks a lot like the Kathy demons from the beginning from her from Buffy's roommate oh yeah I always feel like like you know they use some of the same like costumes again or like reuse them or reuse I feel like this was kind of a throwaway demon and they were like we're not gonna try super hard we all know what a demon looks like we know what it's here to do and it's not to be a major character (laughs) right like just make it scaly and make it humanoid, and we're there. I, I and give it some mystical-looking robes, you yeah. know, and, like, a very deep voice. Right. I'm sure they didn't even have the budget to put the makeup all over his body, so the robe was that they didn't have to put makeup on the arms or anything. <laughs> like, they were like, just do the face, and we're fine. <laughs> I was just, I know this is not on topic, but I was just watching 30 Rock the other day, and when, uh... Tracy Jordan shows up as a white girl, but he has the monster claw. She's like, why do you have a monster claw? And he's like, I made them paint my butt white. <laughs> and then <laughs> ran out of paint. Like, that's what I think of. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so, oh, now I lost my notes. Oh, um, so then they go to look for him at the dump, which I always feel like weird, like taken aback when Buffy uses like a throwaway set that's clearly not like, I don't know, I feel like that was actually, like, probably either, like, some scene, some set in L.A. that's, like, used as a trash dump for movie and TV sets, or it was, like, actually the place. I don't know. I made a note that, like, they didn't never explain, do they explain why they go to the dump of all places? Like, do they ever it say, smells oh, bad. Yeah, they were like, oh, he's bad. gonna be, and it's like, this is an interesting rationale that doesn't make any sense, but sure, let's go to the dump. <laughs> They're saying they that don't because... explain why he lives in the dump, though. I don't think they actually confirm that he does live at the dump. 
Yeah. Because yeah. They, they go there because it smells bad. And then the demon happens to be there. But the demon's also stalking Buffy. So it might just have found her there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like they could they have just gone filmed anywhere it the and the demon would have shown up. Yeah. Yeah. It... <laughs> I mean, it's all very convenient. But like also, like when Spike, when they, they run into Spike, which also I wanted to point out, it's really cute. When Spike is like, oh, blah, blah, and he lifts up the lamp, and Willow goes, very pretty, about his lamp that he lifts up. <laughs> um, just, just so nice. Yeah, and also, yeah. like, the beginning of this season, I was, like, thinking of how, in season four, Matthew, we, like, that James Marsder quote I found in the book where he said they really didn't know what to do with him in season four. They're, like, clearly, these first few episodes, they're like, we know we didn't know what to do with him, we're getting there. Like, I feel like... Well, I made a note because when we are in his crypt right after this scene, was it right after or right before? Like, a little bit when later, he is talking. Right after. When, right yeah, after. He's got his new mannequin. Yes, yeah. when he is talking to that mannequin like it's Buffy, I'm like, oh, you're obsessed. Like, it's the first time where you're really like, oh. I was cringing already. I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> like, that is some, like, incel Twitter shit. <laughs> like, he's, like, talking to a woman who's, like, a mannequin and, like, talking about how he, like, really despises her but actually loves her but he doesn't have the language to say it so it all comes out as just like hate just like yeah i just love that he's just the world's kind of uncoolest weirdo like he's such a weird freak but he's managed to have this illusion of being a cool punk by having a good hairstyle and being really murdery for a few hundred years and it's like as soon as you remove that aspect of his character it's like oh okay you're like a dweeb who collects mannequins i've got this (laughs) so wait so the Toth just being there when Spike is like, oh, you mean that guy? And he's just right there. Tall Ruby thing like that <laughs> yeah. one? Because <laughs> it reminded me of how James Miser said how, like, he would come in to, like, in season four, he would come into an episode to tell them all they were being stupid and they were going to die. And I feel like that's kind of what he does in this episode before we get to the mannequin scene. This season quickly is moving everything, so, like, we have to get to Spike having a crush on Buffy. We have to get to Giles owning the magic shop. We have to get to Xander having his own apartment and being confident. Um, so doing a lot of work in these first few episodes, um, I want to, <laughs> I pointed out that if Xander woke up in the dump, I was like, where did he go to the bathroom? And like, don't say the trash dump. I know that's what you're going to say, Matthew. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like, I couldn't possibly, um, uh, I do appreciate, I mean, Nicholas Brendan, I think is really good in this episode. I appreciate him like slip sliding around Sunnydale. Like he finds his double, um, also, I wanted to point out, shirtless Xander looking good. Um, oh my god, I know. I have in my notes there, hello, Nicholas Beefcake. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and also because they always have him in these like, really baggy shirts, so it's like yeah. a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He has a nice chest. Um, but even, like, even, you know, replacement Xander, he still dresses in kind of baggy clothes. They're yeah. just more yuppie. Yeah. He yeah. looks very 90s, because everyone else yes. is definitely early oh. 2000s, and he's still he's got the floppy, nice the floppy hair, which I love, but also yeah. the, kind of the big shirt. It's yeah. like early era Ross from Friends or something. <laughs> well, even like when later when he is, when when we think that it's like a demon Xander, but it's really just like good qualities Xander, he wears these khaki pants that like have the whitest legs that I've ever seen. And I'm just like, even these khakis are just like so ill-fitting and just like, ugh. I mean, I guess if we're going by the fact that this is like the confident Xander, but the only things he has to work with is what 19-year-old Xander has purchased. So in his wardrobe, he has one smart outfit and it is khakis (laughs) that he maybe got from his dad and don't fit properly. True. Yeah, I... Matthew, it's funny that you mentioned that because I made a note of how ill-fitting his pants were. I was like, oh, God, these pants are killing me. (laughs) They literally, like, like, put a stake through my heart. Right. (laughs) I don't even know that they're, like, straight guy ill-fitting. They're just, like, incredibly ill-fitting. They look like Jenko khakis. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. And I probably had those, to be fair, in, like, 2000. <laughs> Stop. Ugh. Yeah, so where so where are we in the episode? I don't know. Where is uh, <laughs> Xander's... Uh, Xander has just discovered the, yeah, the figured out body double. double. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, he thinks I, it's a like, demon. Because you were talking about how good Nicholas Brennan is in this episode. And obviously, so when they split up, we kind of see the episode from unconfident Xander's eyes, not confident Xander. And so it kind of takes the the worst qualities of him, which can also be the most annoying ones, and ratchets them up to 10. But I think Nicholas Brennan still does a really good job of being like, oh, I'm super, super insecure now. But he's also, I don't know, like he... 
he 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 plays a bad Xander really well. Yeah. So my I had in my notes here. I mean, I know kind of the answer is because we are supposed to be misled and think that confident Xander is the demon. But it is interesting that if both of these are Xander, we are seeing this from the perspective of weak Xander. I wonder how the episode would have been different if we had seen it from the perspective of confident Xander, who was like, oh, my God, there's this really annoying um, there's this really annoying, weak guy who's just, like, clingy and can't do anything right, who has stolen my face, and he's <laughs> he's stealing all of my friends. Like, why are we seeing it from weak Xander's point of view? And I wonder if it's sort of we're just expected to see, um, like, that's how we've come to know Xander. It yeah. doesn't seem that much of a stretch for him to act like that, but it does seem weird for him to, you know, be so insightful about what Anya's going through. And confident Xander uses fewer words too, which I think we're also supposed to think, oh, it's because he doesn't know how to be human. He's yeah, yeah. being he's being in disguise, but he's also just sort of um he's just a lot smoother. And and I think yeah, we're supposed to think that seems weird. That can't actually be him. Yeah. No, totally. I, I think, like, structurally, it does make more sense to have the confident one be evil because it's quite hard to get fooled by the concept that the weak one would be able to take over because, like, by nature, it's the weak one. So the, the confident one would just, like, win. But I think it's, like, an interesting uh, way of viewing the kind of growing up process because it's the point where, like, you're a young adult and, like, the internal self-image is maybe now, like, really different from the external thing that other people are experiencing because he's so convinced that he's going to get fired from his job. You know, I think even before he splits into two, so we assume that's the same. And then you realise his boss just sees him as, like, a reliable employee because he's not actually been doing anything bad on site. Like, he has actually been functionally doing his job, that sort of thing. That's true. I feel like we've all been there where we're like, oh, am I going to be fired even though there's no reason to think that? Right. <laughs> and also, if we kind of go by that unreliable narrator thing, I was really interested to watch the second scene they have with the realtor because in between those two scenes, there hasn't really been anything else apart from that she's seen his credit check. So in the first one, obviously, like, him and his friends are acting really weird, but she's seen his credit check and it only takes, like, one other, like, short conversation for her to be like, oh my god, he's a confident young man kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> also, yes, okay, we need to talk about that realtor, because first of all, he's still 19, and he, what credit do you have at 19? Right, I was thinking and she's, that. And she's well, like, maybe everyone takes out a bunch of insurance or something in Sunnydale because of all the demon attacks, and so that ends up, you know, boosting your credit score. She, like, just, like, comes on to him, and I'm like, lady. That, I was like, she. he, he was there with his girlfriend before, because I was like, that was why I was bothered, because I was like, sure, right. money, whatever. It's like TV houses, they all have a big house, but it's like, she's, she's hitting on him, and she literally met his crazy girlfriend five minutes ago. <laughs> 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 yeah, also, to be fair, a good credit score can do, for me, I'd be like, ooh, tell me about that good credit score. <laughs> um, I, I do like that, and I do, I appreciate the red herring of like, Oh, he just has this stupid, what is it, like a quarter that, like, is just something he found that he liked and you think. But it's almost a little too heavy-handed because it does feel like everyone, I mean, like you guys said, like, why she's, like, suddenly immediately throwing herself at him and, like, giving him her number and laying it on thick, like, any time, day or night. Yeah, that was the one part of the episode that didn't hit for me because I was just like, I'm sure she can find other men in Sunnydale. She meets a lot of them in her job, I yeah. think. <laughs> I mean, so not maybe, like... maybe she is actually a succubus. This is Sunnydale, <laughs> after all. This is how she, she finds young single men with good credit checks and like yeah, hit the men with the promise of cheap apartments. I think there's a whole side episode to happen. Yeah. Like, what happens when that other Xander goes to like cheat on Anya with like. <laughs> That's this... my spinoff fanfic for this one The Succubus Realtor. <laughs> I, w- I would watch that episode. Um, realtor. I would also want to be that succubus realtor. <laughs> <laughs> Finding men with good credit scores. Um, so <laughs> then we get... So I wanted to point out bef- before that scene, actually, I do really love... So Xander sees his himself shirtless and then is like, I need to get Buffy. And then immediately trips over like a little stone that's in the grass. And I thought that was really good. Um, yeah, there's some good physical comedy with Nicholas Brenda in this episode. He's good, for he's sure. good at that. He, yeah, he yeah. is. He is really good at that. Um, and then we get Buffy and Riley in her room, and Riley's like a little bit distressed. I didn't quite get. Do we like know why? I mean, I know she's thinking it's because he wishes she was. No, actually, no. It's not even then yet. I don't know. Like he's like kind of distressed, right? 
because she has to say yeah, like because he feels i mean he says it's because that something's threatening buffy like you know how where can i find him and how hard can i kill him but i also think it's because he's just generally always threatened by her being the slayer and this is actually an episode about two men having their masculinity threatened because riley is constantly threatened by buffy being stronger than him and being independent and not needing him to kill demons for her yeah well that's that's such an interesting kind of comment because like they xander and riley do get played off of each other several times you have the Mm -hmm. opening scene where xander's where, you know, Riley's the good boyfriend because he's massaging Buffy, and then Xander yeah. wants to do it, but he's not thinking about the fact that Anya has the injury, and then Xander gets split into, and it makes Riley insecure, and then obviously the final scene, which we'll get to, where Xander and Riley talk about, like, the women that they love, and so it's interesting to see those two characters get played off each other, because I feel like they both feel useless to the group. Like, Riley has a lot of knowledge about like military stuff and he can fight, but like at the end of the day, he's never going to do anything as well as Buffy can. they don't need muscle. So right. They they don't really need any more muscle. And then Xander doesn't see his spot in the, in, in the group, you know, in his friend group. So it's, they're both kind of like wandering and kind of lost. Well, I was, I was, I like that in the scene between Xander and Willow when kind of the unconfident Xander comes to Willow's uh, bedroom because it was kind of make me think about. Um, I mean, obviously, it's all about like you know, two sides to every person and everything, but it's like such a classic scene of you can understand why he feels really undervalued in the friendship group and why he's really miserable and has low self esteem. But at the same time, he's dumping so much on Willow, and like by this point, we know that she does so much emotional labor for him, and she has oh, done forever. Yeah. And you get like such a such an interesting viewpoint of the way that like it is absolutely true that everyone in the friendship group loves him for who he is, but at the same time, when he's behaving like this, it's a huge fucking pain. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good summation of their relationship with him. Thank you, <laughs> or thank you to the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, oh, so also the scene right in Buffy's house, we get, which is really weird, which is a thing that they do often, where they have a big episode about this character that's going to be in a lot of episodes, and then they don't give that character anything to do in the next few episodes. Dawn has what four lines in this episode, and she was just introduced. I mean, in Buffy at the end of Buffy vs Dracula, but in the episode before she had her big episode. But Joyce points out she has a headache, and that's, like, the first sign of her brain tumor. Ugh. Oh, no, I didn't yeah. even notice. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, because it's, like, the next episode that we learn something's wrong. Yeah, I was like, no, yeah. Joyce! Um, so we're getting close, and I'm already upset, Matthew. <laughs> you have to hold she my dies. hands. I know. Yeah, I know, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, she does? I haven't seen the whole series yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's like in the when they did the 20th anniversary reunion for entertainment weekly and they talked about that allison hannity went oh, buffy's mom dies i have to watch this show <laughs> but yeah so i thought that was like worth mentioning it's like the beginning of the end for dearly departed joyce summers but i do love the scene of xander and willow i you know because like yeah. she he doesn't need to convince her like she already knows it's him but he's doing things to be like look this is me look we did this but I do really like whenever they talk about, like, them as kids. I don't know. It always... Which, I mean, leads to, you know, season six yellow crayon moment that I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's, I, the Snoopy dance is, like, really cute. I don't know. I just think it's pretty charming. They just have no shame around each other. Yeah. And that's, like, cute. I feel like that... that yeah. I, I mean, Allison Hannigan, I do feel like she has really good friend chemistry with both Xander and Buffy. Like she does really well like being their best friend and i don't know like yeah i just they're nostalgic about these things that they did when they were younger and like you know her and buffy have cute scenes it's crazy that they all to me it's crazy that they all weren't actually best friends (laughs) i know it's a show matthew i know i know you know (laughs) i let you think about what you say i'm not gonna say anything um yeah and also i Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, and, like, it's funny because I, I wonder if he's really tired of it. Because I've seen, like, about eight, eight different videos of Nicholas Brendan at a Comic-Con doing the Snoopy dance. Like, there's a oh, panel. Oh, no. I always him, feel so bad for actors when something like that happens. Right? Like, I wonder how annoying that is, right? 
<laughs> and like, oh, the one episode where I did this one thing that's like supposed to be silly. Now here I am doing it again. Great. Well, so one thing I like about that scene is that it does. It's one of the few times where Xander does get introspective about his life. Like after he does the Snoopy dance and he says, why don't I just let this guy have my, yeah. um, have my life. Cause he's living it better than I do. You know, yeah. he says, take my life, please. And I was like, I see yeah, you it was, that was a bit much. <laughs> yeah. That was the 19 year old jumped out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is fair. Like I probably would say something like that at night. I'd probably say something like that at 35. Give me a break. Um, I'm still, it's very Wheatony. Yeah, yeah. I'm still an overdramatic teen. Um, what were we saying, Matthew? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, just that, like, Xander gets that moment of being very, um, of, like, being introspective and talking about his life and how he feels like he's not living it that well. But it is kind of, like, about perspective because he did get that, per- you know, like, he all the, like, later on they'll say, like, all those things that confident yeah. Xander got, like, the promotion, like, those were all also him. Yeah, it was you. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to, I don't know if we all caught when Xander's, like, freaking out about Anya, and he's like, I need Anya, and Willow's like, really? I love that line. She does that so well. Yeah. He's like, really? I always yeah. love how, how much Willow doesn't like Anya. <laughs> oh my god, can we talk about Anya for a minute? For a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did, I took some notes to Anya, because I was like, this is so interesting, because I, like, literally not thought about Anya in, like, a decade, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I just thought it was so interesting, like, the way that her kind of gender stuff and Xander's gender stuff dovetail, because he's got so many ideas about being, like, inadequate and dweeby and not being masculine enough. And then she's literally a demon who's only been a human woman for, like, 10 seconds, and she has the total freedom to be whatever she wants. And the thing she's chosen to become is this weird sort of stereotype of, like, a bitchy girlfriend. And I'm not saying that she's a character I dislike or think is sexist, because I think she's really funny, but... Her priorities are Xander getting money to support her, basically, even though she already has money, and then getting an apartment, and then following this kind of capitalist heteronormative idea of what their life should look like, and then you know, obviously at the end it turns out it's because she's obsessed with mortality. But I was just like, it's so fascinating that he has found this girl who's just like, yeah, I'd love for you to just be stable and have money, even though he's just like, this is so stressful. <laughs> Well, it's that's the interesting thing, right? Is that like for someone who is like meandering in his in his own idea through life, like his girlfriend has a very I mean, has a very like straight line idea of what he should be doing for his life, you know? Yeah. And so in a lot of ways I kinda wanna be like, hmm, I don't know if this is the best pairing because you are kind of taking the circuitous route through things and Anya's just go, go, go. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to have a conversation about that. One thing that we didn't talk about when they were looking at the apartment is that I do, I loved Anya's like freak out where she says, I don't feel like taking a tour of beautiful things that I can't have. I felt like that was like the first moment where they like wrote Anya something really, I don't know, not poignant, but like they have not yet gone that deep into who Anya is and seeing her like actually yell at Xander about something was interesting. It was like the first time that I felt like she was um, kind of getting angry with Xander because she gets angry with everyone else, but right. she kind of does mm-hmm. not get out, out, outwardly angry at Xander. Yeah I, yeah, I actually did put that in my notes, which I skipped over it too. I, that's realistic. Like, an apartment hunting, I mean, we all know this, apartment hunting is the fucking worst. Um, yeah. I feel like unless you're very wealthy, it's always going to be terrible. And, you know, I, apartment hunting in New York, that's how I always felt. Like, ugh, I'm tired of seeing these apartments I can't afford. Um, and, like, I love when she's like... We can have the Scooby meetings here. Giles should explain the boring things right there. Like, she's even trying to, like, plan out what they would do in the apartment. And, like, I don't know. I I think you're right, Matthew. I think it's one of the first times we get... Which, is it... Yeah, it's the episode before this where she, like, kind of learns about capitalism, right? Oh, in the Game of Life. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was the Game... Yeah, it was the episode before... (laughs) Yeah, it was the episode before this one. Yeah. where, Where she learns about it and... I mean, that's pretty much because I think in the next two episodes, one of the next two episodes where she starts working at the magic box yeah. or something. Yeah, it's very early. Um, but I do really like Anya in this episode and how because really, <clears throat> I think that one of the things that comes out of it is that Xander feels like Anya is the only positive thing in his life, because yeah. when he thinks when he knows that Toth looks like him or when he thinks that Toth looks like him. 
he immediately kind of runs to Anya and is like, that's the only thing that I have that he could take that's, like, valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also, I don't always love them as a pairing, but I think that's, like, kind of... Like, for me, that's, like, a charming Xander thing to think, like, oh, Anya is, like, the only thing in my life that's good that anyone would want. And that's, like, his immediate... Also, I do love that he says that and Willow's like, you didn't think about her first? And he's like, you you see what happens when you have an evil twin. And she's like, I handled it just fine. <laughs> I love that. Like, her delivery was so good on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. Can I actually geek out about the three Scooby twins for a moment? Yeah. So, okay, you know how we have we have Xander's twin, which is the episode we're talking about. It's and this is all about Xander's personality is split in two and he doesn't realize that he's actually a confident person who can achieve things in life and who does have a purpose and does have a place. Um and Willow had an evil twin who was the vampire and then later on in the season Buffy will have not really an evil twin but she'll have the Buffy bot. Yeah. So all three of the core Scoobies get to explore like being confronted with their body doubles. But I really love how each of them have a separate purpose. Like Willow confronting vampire Willow is all about her realizing the sort of darker nature that she has and the more rebellious that she can be because that whole episode doppelgang land is about her realizing, Oh no, I am not just an inherently good person. Like my life could have changed and I could have been this person. I could have been, you know, someone dressing in leather and licking the necks of girls who knew. Um, And then when you have the Buffy body, come up that's all about Buffy realizing like her friends couldn't tell her apart from a robot what does that mean you know and that's the episode where she I know I'm skipping ahead but that's the episode where um, she is afraid that being the slayer is making her lose her humanity and then that's paired beautifully when she her friends don't realize that a robot is not actually her and so I just I just love how they do those three different um twin experiences for the three main Scoobies. I think it's a really smart thing. Yeah, I, I actually, yeah. actually hadn't thought about all those together, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> Very good analysis, Lauren. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to get really geeky. Also, did you guys oh. know that Nicholas Brendan has an actual twin and that he was in this episode? Yeah, duh. Yeah, yes. that's, it. that's yeah. why, that's why, like, whenever they do... The twin things, you don't have to see that, like, fuzzy screen that they yeah. do, like, when Willow and Vamp Willow are on the same image, because, like, they're splicing it together. But, so, like, because mm-hmm. if you also really look at it, like, Xander and his, I mean, Nicholas Brennan and his brother don't look exactly 100% alike. Right. They kind of show, like, half of one of their faces in the shot, so you don't look too hard, I think. Right, because if you look yeah. too hard, you can kind of tell which one is which really easy. And I think... No, maybe I made this up. I think his brother has a speech impediment, I think. I think Well, Sam, well Nicholas did. Nick Nicholas right. had has a stutterer. Was a stutterer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um well, and the, on the body double thing really quick cuz I don't know, did you did you bring up you brought up Buffy Bot, right? But not Yeah. Um the other th- um actually no, I'm not going to say. It. I was going to say also but Buffy has had that experience by being in Faith's body. So sometimes they play oh, yeah. just like with like what it means to be in someone else's body type type of thing or to see yourself and how you operate from outside of your own from outside of your own body to learn about yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Um and yeah. I think actually that but that that moment was probably more for Faith than it was for That's Buffy. true, yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, um so I mean, like I said before, I think the it's the red herring is a little bit too much. Like when Xander sees when Xander sees confident Xander with the Scoobies, and Buffy's like, "He has to deal with the Slayer now." That feels a little mm-hmm. bit silly. Um, but then later, Buffy even says, "Oh, he did seem a little too confident." Um, so I like that she's, you know, kind of like she kind of like gets on board pretty quickly. I mean, she gets on board because I also love. Giles being like, I said, oh lord. And she's like, you say that all the time. And he's like, it's always important. <laughs> um, and realizes, you know, that they're both Xander. Um, I did want, I do love Anya's speech to confident Xander where she says she's dying. Yes. I I don't know. I thought it was so perfectly Anya. And I thought of, you know, one of our Scoobies, Anthony Oliveira, who said, I can't remember what episode he was on where he said this, but like how Anya's arc always had to lead to her dying because she was learning how to live a life 
as a human, mm-hmm. and that's part of it. And, you know, she's, like, afraid she's dying because she dislocated her shoulder, which, if you're a human, that's pretty dramatic to be like, I'm dying because of your shoulder, but it makes sense for a demon who was, like, super-powered for however many years. And, you know, I kind of just really liked her speech, and I feel like it fits in, it does fit with her arc. Um, they're giving her more depth here. She, you know, this season she gets a job. She learns about money. She gets a fiancé. Um, she clearly wants to start her life with Xander, even though they're 19. I mean, she's a thousand, but, you know, she wants to get life started. And then I cry because then she dies in season seven. But yeah, I thought that, yeah, this was like a good showing of this is what we want to do with Anya. I mean, they're moving, I've said this a million times, but they're moving the chess pieces real fast and in a real good way This in the beginning of the season, I think. One of the interesting things I think someone was saying right before you spoke, Ian, was that, like, I think there's a lot of interesting choices going on just how to write this episode because they chose to do it, like, with us following the confidence. Oh, well, no, what you said was that um, that it's the red herring, Mm -hmm. and they specifically chose that route of, like, well, we'll follow one Xander and have you know, us believe that maybe the demon is using Xander's body or something. But they could have also been like, um, like what if they had chosen to know from the very beginning that there are two Xanders and like Anya likes one Xander more than the other and the implications of that, like, or if we know there are two Xanders and so Toth, tries to go after the weak one and like they like Buffy has to like guard them all the time but like the weak one goes off to like the vending machine and gets attacked or something I don't know (laughs) but like there's so many ways to do it and they chose this one but I think there's also like a a way there's like another there's an alternate universe where they chose to like follow both Sanders and like explore the same the same themes of like who he is by seeing how they both react to the same stimuli or like the same thing and how like you can choose to react confidently or positively, or you can choose to react like negatively and with fear. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree, Matthew. I, I think that's a very good analysis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, we're all um, so polite in this episode. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start get, fighting. <laughs> but let's get to the final scene where they fight Toth because Xander hasn't really moved into the apartment yet, and there's like he already has a broken <laughs> front door, like no front door at all, and there's a huge gash in the rug. <laughs> I, do, do we ever meet his his neighbors? No, because I feel like his neighbors would have so many anecdotes about the weird teens who are constantly like screwing up the apartment and having weird conversations <laughs> about like magic candles. <laughs> like, uh, yesterday a demon blew up my neighbor's door. <laughs> then they had or if there's just like a neighbor who just thinks they're all cosplayers because there's always people in weird outfits coming in and out, and it's like <laughs> no, they're they're literally all just the undead. <laughs> like, oh no, that was a demon. Um. I, I mean, I do appreciate that Confident Xander does say, like, oh, I just put a cleaning deposit down. Because, like, yeah, they blow a hole in the mm. carpet. I do appreciate Anya kind of doesn't know what to do when it's both Xanders before the fight. Like, she's kind of like, uh... And then, you know, Toph comes in. And, you know, I always think of you, Matthew, because I'm like, oh, it's an episode of Buffy. They need the fight. So Buffy fights him. Um, kind of quickly disposes of Toph. Uh, he's Toth is totally besides the point. And for me, I like in a Buffy episode when we're doing more character work and the fighting slash demon is kind of like, oh, we just need that because it's an episode of Buffy, but that's not the point. Um, and then, I don't know, do we want to discuss the very end? Because I love the magic box scene. Oh yeah, that's great. I, I think Nicholas and his twin are doing good work there. I think Anya is doing... I love... I put, yes, my sex-positive queen, because she's just like, you know, take him home and have sex with all of them. I would also volunteer to be DP'd by the Xander twins. <laughs> what is it, an Eiffel Tower? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Eiffel Tower, spit roast, whatever. Whatever. You know, it's, all, it's all on the table. 
I will say, once they do put the two Xanders back, it's a little lonely at first. You're like, oh, like they yeah. were talking to each other, and now now there's only one, and like now Xander doesn't have anyone to talk to like that anymore. <laughs> I I do think. Actually, come to think of it, like this is a really it's one of those like recurring tropes you see in a lot of this like sci-fi fantasy shows. Like it's one of those like original series Star Trek ones. There's an episode where Kirk splits yeah. in two. Um, and I now kind of am wondering how cool would it be if one of these shows just stuck with one of these tropes just for like a nice wee three or four episode arc, not for any reason, just so you could just arbitrarily have, you know, two Xanders hanging out or like a, someone's just constantly experiencing a Groundhog Day in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, this is alternate universe, Willow, but just for like three episodes and there's no real conflict. I mean, I would gladly take any more I could get of alternate universe Willow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I and that's isn't that the reference Xander makes when when yeah. Anya's like, "Oh, what happens if you know it doesn't work?" And he's like, "Kill us both, Spock." And which I find so charming. I like when they like play up his nerdiness, and I like that they both immediately say it and immediately laugh. Um, and I also i I love Giles. Yeah, I <laughs> you know he's just like, okay, we're gonna pretend we didn't hear that and keep going. Um, None of the disturbing sex talk. Is what yeah. <laughs> that was a good Giles. <laughs> um, Thank you. And, and I do love Riley saying, oh, doesn't it make you just want to put them in a lab and experiment on them? <laughs> oh, my God. And I have to say, I find, I, I actually was wondering what you would think, Matthew. I find Riley immediately so much more interesting this season, even before, <laughs> I, I think before he's, like, addicted to getting bit. Like, I think that's a little bit, meh. But I kind of liked him sans the initiative. Like, I think he's a lot better off without them. And I liked him as, like, an ex-army guy who's, like, mm-hmm. trying to integrate into being, like, quote-unquote regular and still making, like, stupid things like that. Like, saying things like that. I kind of immediately... I, I just like him a lot better this season than I did in season four. And it's a shame because we only get him for a handful of episodes this season. He's, like, the jock boyfriend because, like, basically he's who... Buffy would or should be dating if she wasn't the Slayer, but literally every single one of Buffy's friends is a nerd or a misfit, so it's kind of like he's the accidental misfit, even though he's the one who actually should be in a relationship with her. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, I have a controversial view in that I kind of like Riley. I don't know, like, so... I know well, he seems that really nice in the car scene. I was just does. like, oh my goodness, he's really like, trying. <laughs> and he, she totally shoots him down there. I mean, not by not saying anything. Like that's a lovely speech to say to your girlfriend. Like there's there's no part of you I'm not madly in love with. Like that's so sweet and adorable. And it's clear that she doesn't feel the same way. Yeah. And instead of him getting possessive and being like, why aren't you saying it back? Which she then does later. I recognize, but like later on in the season you know he just he just realizes what's happening and he tells xander privately like i'm in love with buffy and she doesn't love me riley is he is a little bit too staid he is too much adherence to structure and he is um always threatened by buffy being strong because he wants his role to be the person that takes care of buffy and rescues her so he doesn't know what his role is if he can't do either of those things but, like, for some reason, I can't bring myself to hate him the way so many of us do, because he's legitimately kind to her and most other people on the show. You know, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I don't. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I was just talking to someone the other... Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I, I tend to rag on Riley more than Matthew does, but at the end of the day, I do agree with you. Like, I do agree with that sentiment of Riley. Like, I think he genuinely cares about her, and I do think while his entire thing is he can never get over the fact that Buffy doesn't really need his help, I do think he tries. I think he tries to get there, and I think they could have written him, given him more to do, um, but they just didn't quite ever get there with him. Yeah. Um, But I do think at the very least, like you said, he was, well, one of you said, I forget who said it, he was the jock, and they are not, that's not the type of person that any of them would have hung out with. If Buffy wasn't the Slayer, yes, that's someone she should have been dating. Um, but because she was a Slayer and she hung out with, you know, misfits and nerds, he just doesn't fit in with everyone. And then on top of that, he's not used to a woman being stronger than him and his own toxic masculinity gets in the way of it. But I think then he does try. Like, I think he recognizes that that's an issue and he tries, but he never gets over it and then it ends up ruining their relationship. Yeah. But yeah. I think he does try to do 
And Riley's not comfortable with uncertainty, which is why he isn't he feels adrift after leaving the army because that gave yeah. him direction and purpose and you right. know Buffy is Buffy doesn't have a, a certain she didn't have certainty in her life so right. yeah. well I think that yeah. goes back to in some ways like I guess this military mentality of like be all that you can be or like that there's always room for growth and improvement and like I think that obviously Riley like understands that he was part of like an evil military organization or mm-hmm. just like a, a not like a chaotic neutral one or something. But he, <laughs> um, I think he's very open to growth and like change. And, and in a lot of ways, I feel like Buffy opens his mind to that and like Buffy becomes his initiative. Like he was really in love with the initiative and, and the, the feeling like the purpose, the feeling of purpose that it gave him. And now I feel like he sees Buffy as that like more like this person who is giving me purpose and stuff like that and like idolizes her and i think it's really dangerous to like be in love or like be in love with someone you idolize like i think obviously Mm -hmm. there's a way that you should look at your partner and like adore them and stuff like that but like do we want to like how is it to idolize your partner in that way you know yeah yeah i'd agree with that um yeah uh so are we are we at the end oh wait Speaking of which, that leads us to, I actually find it really heartbreaking when he says that she doesn't love him and he knows it. And then she comes in immediately Ugh. and kisses him. I yeah. I felt for him. I felt bad for Riley. Um, and he's right. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, you can't even be like, oh, he's being dramatic because he's right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, She's like, reserved with him. Yeah. She just clearly, I don't know. I think... You know, it's it's funny. I don't know, um, Gabby or Lauren, if either of you have ever watched uh, Veronica Mars. Yeah. No, I never did, actually. Um, but they both have this filler boyfriend. Yeah, well, where so... Where it's like, he's nice. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, for me, with Veronica, it's like, everyone wants her to be with Logan. And I had this fight with my like some of my friends when we would watch it, because they were like, no, like, Piz is too boring for her. She needs the drama. She needs the... And with Veronica, I love Piz, and I wanted her to marry Piz. I wanted the movie to be like, oh, look, she sees Logan again, but she doesn't need him. She's over him. She's with Piz now. That's not what happens. Spoiler alert. Um, But with Buffy, I do think Riley serves his purpose. Yes, I think Riley is the filler boyfriend, and I think she needed a filler boyfriend. I don't think he's who she should have ended up with, but I think he serves the purpose of, like, her getting over Angel, her, you know, learning, I mean, not that this lesson stays but learning she can have like a normal relationship it doesn't have to be full of you know dramatic twists and turns and lots of death uh which you know then she dates spike so i don't know i don't know if she learned the lesson but yeah i think it's like he was the filler boyfriend that she needed because i think he is right and i think she does love him but she doesn't love him the way he loves her like i think she cares about him yeah which is like kind of a bummer to think like he's dating her and he knows this right We've all been there, though. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Matthew, do you have anything to say about that? No, I think you said it lovely. <gasps> Thank you. That's like the first nice thing you've ever said to me on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't enjoy it that much. <laughs> um, okay, so we're at the end. Um, favorite outfit, Lauren? Well, I really loved Anya's Golden Girls nightgown that she was wearing while listening to the uh, voicemail message that that Xander left her. It was like this big, silky, poofy sleeve, like long skirted nightgown that look it looked like something that an eighty year old would wear. It was pretty great. Um, I actually think most of the fashion in this episode was pretty bad, um, like Buffy and most of the episode is wearing something i would have worn on laundry day in the dorms in 2001 <laughs> uh, like this this brown tie-dye pants with like the, oh, the neapolitan oh. halter top <laughs> and like the long cardigan it's like buffy what are you wearing <laughs> um so yes the I, anya anya had the the best with the nightgown <laughs> um gavia yeah, I mean, I felt like in this episode, it was sort of, everyone was wearing really casual clothes. It was like the casual day outfits, <laughs> but they were all dated in a non-charming way because I've been watching Buff, re-watching Buffy from the beginning with some friends. And in the kind of, we're at season two, in the season one and two 90s outfits, I'm like, I love all of these, yeah. even the ones who look terrible. Whereas in this one, I'm like, 
it's too recent so i'm just like i'd hate these tie-dye pants like all of the kind of just casual early 2000s outfits not really into it so i feel like my favorite outfit is more just i find it very characterful the confident xander has this you know outfit which is clearly meant to like illustrate how mature he is but it's also he's never bought clothes that fit yet because he's still 19 so he's got i'm dressing <laughs> up as a man but i'm not fully there yet kind of vibe <laughs> he's in drag <laughs> um matthew so i want to say that my favorite outfit is the one that Anya's wearing in the final scene with like that green skirt the green and, yeah. the, and the top i think she looks great in it but i but even though it's my favorite i do want to acknowledge that i think that xander's outfit in this episode with the like the print and the yellow shirt underneath is an iconic look because <laughs> it's in it for so long and i think that like sometimes when i think about xander i think about him in this look because it's yes. just like one that because you know and, and at one point obviously they're both dressed in it so it just has become like kind of an iconic xander look yeah i you know what i don't like it but i agree with you i agree that it is like yeah. a pretty iconic like i mean because just he's wearing it for almost the entire episode right um and it's like yeah, the like, quintessential slacker outfit you know the kind of the yeah. shapeless shirt over kind of weirdly colored long-sleeved undershirt for no I reason even when you're in southern california <laughs> yeah the other thing is that like the outfit would be fine if the undershirt was not long sleeves that is the problem <laughs> like if it was just yeah. the shirt with a short sleeve undershirt then honestly, I'd be like, oh, fine. Like, you're just dressed like a regular guy. But it is the long sleeves underneath a short sleeve shirt that is just, like, killing me. <laughs> it really does remind you he, he, like, uses a skateboard as a mode of transportation without being, <laughs> like, really having any particular skills. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I mean, for me, it's the... I agree that the long sleeve is bad, but, like, oh, boy, those ill-fitting red pants really kill me. Um, I... I also agree with everyone. The outfits are not that killer, and I actually put for favorite outfit. I don't have a favorite outfit, but I extremely hated what Buffy's wearing in that rainbow top and long jacket Ugh, and weird pants. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> like, nothing is working with what she's wearing. Uh, but she is wearing hoops, so I do like that. You know I love a hoop, Matthew. The hoops uh, are great. <laughs> All yeah. right. Favorite scene, Matthew? Um, I am going to say... That I really like the scene between Xander and Willow. Not actually because of the dance, but because of how introspective he gets about his life. But the dance is also iconic. Okay. Lauren? Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. Because I love the way Allison Hannigan... I love her reaction shots. I love the way Xander comes into her room and Willow is just... She's humoring him. She's like, okay, prove that you're Xander. It was (laughs) just... You can just see the history between them and the friend intimacy and as he's, you know, going on and on about his life and kind of, like, throwing sopping clothes everywhere, she's just kind of tolerating it and, <laughs> you know, being patient. Allison Han- sorry, Willow <laughs> is so patient and kind in this whole episode, and I think she was really great in that scene. So, yeah, that was my favorite, too. Gabby? <laughs> um, I hate to be a copycat, but I also, like, when I was watching the episode, I was like, this is the clear winner, kind of, for the reasons I said earlier, but I guess... My second fave is Xander and Anya because it kind of proves that he can have that sort of maturity and emotional intelligence to understand her problem and help her with it and actually have like a functioning relationship, which I liked. <laughs> um, all right. My favorite my favorite scene. I do love the Willow Xander scene, but it's mine is still the end when Z- when Anya is talking about having sex with the two Xanders because <laughs> I forgot to point out both those Xanders are totally ready to have a threesome. Like, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like Xander totally would have fucked himself. If there, weren't, like, if there weren't, like, a bunch of spectators in the room, they would have just yeah. sheepishly been like, okay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, and now we're going to grade the episode from A to F. Uh, Gavia, what's your grade? Uh, B minus. Okay. Uh, Matthew? I'm also B minus. Lauren? I give it a C. Okay, okay. I give it a, I give it a B. It's funny that we all gave it not the best grades, but we're all, like, none of us really had that many bad things to say about it, but we all still felt the same about the episode. Um, well, I think the direction is kind of, the direction feels weird. There's a lot of awkward, quiet, lingering reaction shots 
in it that just kind of make the pacing feel very um, strange. Yeah. Okay. So thank you both for being on. If you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow Matthew, he is at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. And if you want to follow Ian, he's at IanXCarlos. And Lauren, where where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at SunnydaleHam or my own account, which is at LarEggertCrow. And where can they find you, Gavia? Uh, well, my pop culture movie TV podcast is called Over Invested, and you can find me on Twitter just by searching my name, Gabby Baker Whitelaw. My handle is hello underscore Taylor. And thank you everyone for listening. If you like our podcast, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us. Um, we are on Google Play and Stitcher and Podbean and SoundCloud. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.